Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. If you haven't met me, my name's Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. It's wonderful to have you with us. If you've got a Bible, could you turn to John chapter 14, please? John chapter 14. We're picking up our series that we started at the beginning of this year, going through the book of the Gospel of John, the entire book. And we said one of our aims for the year was to preach through it. Uh, We've done quite a big chunk of it now. We're on the sort of downward run towards Christmas, and we hope to wrap most of it up before Christmas. We might spill over into 2015 a little bit, but that's what we're doing uh, now. We've done, we we ended just for summer at the beginning of chapter 12, and now we're going to pick up there. And the timing is um, good, because what we've done is we're basically about to begin the last week of Jesus' life. Um, It's all kind of this, the last chapters of John nine, ten chapters are all condensed down into the last sort of week of Jesus' life, and that's what we're beginning today, and uh, what we're going to be looking at um, this morning. In John chapter 12, we're going to pick it up from verse 12 is where we're going to start. Now, just to get what sort of what's happening in the Gospel of John, we've been out of it a little while, so let's kind of get our focus back. Jesus has come to earth, John said. He was, John describes him as the Word, the, the pre-existent, kind of eternal God. God the Son has come to earth and dwelt among humanity, his creation, John has said at the beginning of his gospel. And we've followed the life of Jesus through the gospel of John as he has taught us about him. And John's purpose for writing this gospel is that we would understand who Jesus was. We entitled this series, Who is This Man? For us to kind of ask that question, who is this? And John's been very clear, this is God the Son, this is God come to earth. And the things Jesus said and did could only have been kind of attributed to God. He performed miracles Incredible miracles, healings, and a miraculous multiplication of food, and he raised the dead, and he did incredible things. But he also taught incredible things and made claims to put himself on the level with God. And so he basically said, you know, I am up there with God in many different ways, using those statements to begin, I am. I am the bread of life, he said. I am the good shepherd who will guide you and lead you. And so this is who Jesus is. And the the response to him among the people, the popular response, has been great. There's been lots of people. Crowds have come out to hear him. Crowds have followed him around, come to see him. And they're kind of, they're very excited. The response from the religious leaders has been kind of the opposite. It's been very negative. They don't like him. He is upsetting the status quo. They particularly don't like that he could be causing problems with the Romans who are occupying their land at the moment. And if the Romans get stroppy, they send in lots of soldiers and start killing people. Okay, And they don't want that. So they're thinking, this Jesus, he's stirring stuff up. And the, the popular kind of opinion among the people is they're expecting a Messiah, a Savior to come. And the kind of question is, is it this Jesus guy? Is he the one? Because some are saying he is, some are saying he isn't, and there are some in the middle who are head-scratching going, we're not sure. And basically this has kind of reached fever pitch now because we saw in chapter 11, Jesus did the kind of ultimate miracle where he raised someone from the dead, his friend Lazarus, who was out and had been dead for several days, so he was proper dead. Everyone could testify this guy was dead, dead, dead. Jesus turns up and spoilt the funeral by saying, Lazarus, come out, and sure enough, and he, he rose. And so there is this kind of expectation that this guy, God is with him, and there is something special about him. And Jesus now is going to enter Jerusalem for the last few days of his life, Jerusalem being the capital. And 
He's not just coming to the capital at any old time. He's coming to the capital for the Passover festival. We've seen in John that John likes looking at the Jewish festivals throughout the year, and he's built his, his gospel narrative around that. And so the Passover festival is the big one. It's the daddy of um, kind of festivals for them. It's the most important one. It, it talks about when God saved his people out of Egypt, brought them out of slavery and formed a nation out of them. So in terms of a cultural, religious identity for the Jews, this was huge for them. And what you had in Jerusalem was you would have basically Jews from all over the known world would descend on Jerusalem. And it would be a heaving, packed out place. And I, the only way I can kind of think about it was imagine the entire of Birmingham trying to get into Sutton Coalfield. It would be a bit snug if, they all, if all 900,000 of them descended on, on this and they tried to live here and eat here for a few days of these festivals. It would just be chaos. The roads would be gridlocked. There would be bodies everywhere. You, just, you couldn't move. And that's what Jerusalem was like. And into that context, Jesus is coming. And the only thing I can kind of liken it to is like um, a prize fighter kind of entering the ring for a big title bout. I don't know if you've ever seen the Rocky films. And Sylvester Sloan playing Rocky, and he comes in, and it's kind of showdown time. I'm going to come and take on, and the expectation is our, our, our saviour is coming, and he's, he's going to fight, and he's going to take on our enemy, and our enemy is the Romans. So in one corner, you know, weighing in at 180 pounds, you have the ex-carpenter of Nazareth, the preacher... You know, he's coming in and he's going to take on the Romans. He's the one we want. And in the other corner, we have the Roman Empire weighing in at the entire known world. You know, and they, they, they're going to take each other on. There's going to be a bout. And I don't know if you've ever seen fighters coming into the ring. And this is for real. I watched on YouTube. I kind of Googled it. And you've got fighters who come into the rings and there are fireworks going off. And there are lights and there are, there's music. I saw one, which I just couldn't believe. I had to keep watching it. It was kind of perverse curiosity. This fighter came into the ring to Michael Jackson's Thriller. And he was marching down. And there were like gravestones and this dragon. And there were like skulls on the gravestone. And he was punching them off. And he hadn't even got to the ring. And it took him about 10 minutes to get to the ring to do the fight. But he was walking around doing all this. And it was like it was a real build-up to what was going to happen. I didn't know who won the fight, um, but he eventually got to the ring. But it was this big build-up, and this is what we're going to kind of see. So I want you to bear that in mind as we look at the text, this huge entry of a prize fighter. Okay, verse 12. It says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, that's the Passover, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him. Um, had been done to him, sorry. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went with him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, what you are, uh, see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone out after him. So we've got, there's a crowd following Jesus because they know he's raised He's raised Lazarus the dead. So they're like, wow, super excited. They're coming after it. There's a crowd in the city who hear he's coming. 
He's the guy who raised Lazarus from the dead. He's the one we think could be the saviour, the Messiah. So they go out to meetings. You've got people coming together. In amongst this, we've got Jesus riding on a donkey. If you read the other gospel accounts, you'll find out the story about how he got that donkey, which is miraculous in and of itself, sending his disciples off. And it said they, they did two things, the crowd. It said, first of all, they got palm branches, which would have been plentiful around the city of Jerusalem. They'd have pulled them off the trees and they'd have waved them. These were national symbols nationalistic symbols. We've just had the referendum. We are still a united kingdom, just. And, and there's a whole lot of nationalist kind of talk, particularly in Scotland, north of the border, about should they be an independent country. And for the Jews, this was one of their symbols, the, the palm branch. And when there was a rebellion a few years later, um, they, they printed their own coins, Jewish people, when they rebelled against Rome, and they put this symbol on it. The palm branch went on their coin. This is who we are. And so they're waving this. They're expecting their king is coming. They're expecting a national king. He's going to come and he's going to take on the Romans. And so nationalistic fervor would have been high at that time. And so they were waving this, welcoming Jesus. And they're thinking, this is the guy. He's coming. He's going to come and take on the Romans. We're going to win. We're going to have a showdown. And it's going to be so exciting. So you'd imagine it being a real kind of raucous time. And they shout. They said they cried Hosanna, which basically means give salvation now. That's the kind of, sort of the direct translation, which is it's taken from one of the, um, the Psalms, Psalm 118, where they would have sang every morning at the temple. The choir would have sang that. This group of Psalms they sing every morning, and that would have been part of it. And they sing, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And originally that was um, talked about a pilgrim coming to Jerusalem. Someone who went up to Jerusalem for one of the festivals was blessed because they were going to honour and serve God in whatever the festival was. So that was normally sung. But, but in this context, that they're taking more of it. They're actually thinking, the king is coming. Blessed is he. The, our Messiah is coming into Jerusalem. God's chosen is coming to God's city where God's temple is. And, you know, it's going to be good. It's going to be this wonderful showdown. And Jesus is riding on a donkey, which fulfills the prophet Zechariah, who says that, that the one would come riding on the donkey. But even in this, the, um, the crowd missed stuff. So they're all kind of high on nationalistic fervor of, you know, someone's coming to save us. But actually the fact Jesus rode on a donkey rather than a war horse, a lowly animal, actually points to actually he was coming in peace. He wasn't coming in a state of war. He wasn't coming to, to fight as we understand it, kind of with weapons and soldiers. He was coming in a different way, but they didn't see it. He even says the disciples didn't get the kind of significance of some of the stuff that was happening until after, until Jesus had died and rose from the dead. And then you have the, into that context, you've got the religious leaders looking, and they make this wonderfully ironic statement, which basically says um, the whole world is going out after him. Now, the, we know the religious leaders already made a decision together. I think it was the end of chapter 11, we're going to kill this guy. Someone has to die for the sake of the nation. It's going to be Jesus. If we wipe him out, then actually we'll save our nation. But within that context, actually the whole world is coming to them. So that's Jews from all over. Um, The the Roman Empire would have been coming out to him. But also it says Greeks were there. Non-Jews would have been part of that celebration. And so there's a a picture there of what, what God is going to do in the future. He's going to draw all people to himself. And the religious leaders unknowingly actually kind of speak about it, prophesy. Actually, the whole world's gone out to him. Well, of course it has. It's God. The whole world would go out to him. And so there's the fighter coming into Jerusalem, ready for the fight. But then he gets into Jerusalem, and he starts to speak to the people, and he says the most incredible thing for a prize fighter coming to a big fight, a big showdown, a big kind of let's, let's deal with this. Jesus basically says, 
I'm coming to take a dive. I'm coming to, to lose. I'm coming to, to throw it down. I'm not going to come and, and fight like you think I am. I'm not going to throw that knockout blow, take down my opponent and stand over him victorious so he's out for the count. I'm coming to take a dive, he says. Let's read it from verse 20. He says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Some of these came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, The voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is a judgment in this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said to show, um, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? So who is the Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the light does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So Jesus has come to the center of Jerusalem. The, the, the center of the Jewish faith, the temple is there, the presence of God is there, the festivals are there, basically you know, Jews from all over the, the world as they have descended on that place and the expectation for what he can do is huge. He has ra- just literally just raised Lazarus from the dead. In terms of riding high on a wave of popular opinion, he's doing incredibly well. Um, and what we've got is Jews, um, some Greeks come to him, which again is this irony. It's not Jews come to him, some Greeks, non-Jews come to him to kind of question him, find out what's going on. And Jesus begins, he says, truly I say to you, we've come across that lots of in John's gospel. It's basically, uh, the translation is, amen, amen, he basically says. Amen, amen. And then he speaks, he's basically saying, this is important, what I'm about to say. Take note of my words. Kind of heed this. And he basically says, rather than a glorious victory, I'm going to face death. Rather than a great kind of uprising where we, we rule victorious and we, we vanquish our enemies, I'm going to die. And he uses that image of a grain of wheat falling to the ground. A grain of wheat has a, the head of a wheat has lots of seeds in it. And if you want to have a harvest, the, the seeds have to fall out. They have to go into the ground and they effectively have to be broken open and die, to use his imagery. And Jesus is saying, and then that's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be like the kernel of wheat that's going to go into the ground, disappear, be broken, and, and I'm, I'm going to be died. That's going to be the end of it. He later says on to kind of really grab me home. He says, I will be lifted up. 
He's, he's alluding to the cross there. He's looking, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be die, and I'm going to be raised up, not in glory as you would understand it, not in victory over my enemies, over the Romans as you would understand, but it's going to be in death. It's going to be in shame. It's going to be in agony. That is what is going to happen to me. It's not going to be a glorious victory. It's going to be shame and death, and I'm going to be an outcast. And if that wasn't kind of like, you know, sort of enough, he goes on to say, actually, there's also judgment that's going to be involved in this. Rather than the victory, it's going to be judgment. And it's not just the Romans who are going to get judged. He actually talks about the world being judged. Actually, the world, the world is a, John uses that world, that's all encompassing, that's everybody. He says, I'm going to judge the world through this. He says, actually, there's going to be a judgment on the world. He says, he points to his ultimate enemy who defeated Satan, will be involved. But he says, there will be a judgment on the world that will come through this. And we'll look later at what that kind of judgment, who that is. And he, he talks about um, loving and hating, he uses that language. He talks about loving and hating, which is just, it's a, it's a literary device to kind of do extremes. And he says, actually, you, if those who love their life, those who prioritize their life, those who put their focus on their life and their self-interest, he says, actually, actually, you're going to face death. Those, that's the essence of sin, self. It's all about me, and I'm in charge, I'm in control, I'm ruling, I'm reigning. And they said those who love their life like that, they're actually going to face death. But those who hate their life, which is kind of the opposite extreme emotion, those who deny themselves and don't make themselves so they're actually that's actually going to lead to life, which is kind of just the polar opposite of what they would have been, been talking about. You actually think we're talking about, Jesus, you've come to fight and beat the Romans, but now you're talking about you dying and you're talking about us hating our own lives and, and where that goes. And there's judgment in there as well. What's going on? He's saying, this is what I've come to do. I haven't come for what you've expected. I've come to live a different kind of alternative life. And he uses that contrast of light and dark. He says, don't walk in darkness. The light is here. Jesus has talked about himself in that contest. He said, I'm the light of the world. We saw the festival where they had those blazing candles, those lights that that stood so high and literally lit up Jerusalem. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I'm the one, if you don't want to walk in darkness, follow me, stay with me. And he's reiterating to them, this, I'm the light, you have to look to me. You've got to follow me, you've got to follow what I'm doing. And, and the way I'm going is actually a way of death, it's a way of shame, it's a way of, of not working. And, and to our kind of, the hearers, our minds, that doesn't, just doesn't make sense. But we have the acknowledgement of the Father, who speaks into it, doesn't he? There's this, someone thought it was thunder. But the, the word of God speaks into this and says, actually, I'm going to glorify you and I'm, I'm going to um, glorify your name and I'm going to make you great that even in shame you will become great, my son, um, the father says to him. And Jesus kind of, at the end of this session, at the end of this section, he's thought, this is his end of his public ministry. He's kind of, he's withdrawing now and all the other stuff we see is, is more intimate and personal with his disciples. So this is his last call to the crowd and saying, walk with me, walk in light, do not walk in darkness. Um, but there's, um, there's good news in there as well. It says he, that a harvest would come. Um, verse 32. He says, I'm going to be lifted up. But what will happen when I'm lifted up? I will draw all people to myself. When that grain of seed dies, when it goes into the ground and it is broken, and it's, it looks like nothing's happening, because you, you put a seed in the ground and you cover it with dirt, and you look at it, nothing's going on. It's all hidden. But then what happens? Out of that comes a shoot. And what was one seed suddenly is multiplied to many. And you have a full head of wheat comes back out. And suddenly there was one. Now there is many, many seeds. And Jesus is using that image to say, actually, I'm going to 
my death is going to result in a harvest. My result, death is going to result in many, many, many people coming to know me. And it's not just going to be for this nation, this kind of isolated area, this ethnic cultural group. It's going to be for the nations of the world. It's going to go out. This is fulfilling what God has been saying all throughout the Old Testament. And so Jesus is saying, I've come to take a dive. I'm not going to go the way you think I'm going to go. I've got into the ring, but I'm going down. And it's going to be horrible. But actually, what's going to come out of that is going to be wonderful. There is going to be a harvest. And many, many others are going to come to know me. Let's look at the last section. Last bit. It says, When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Least they still see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. For fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my word and does not keep them, I do not judge them, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. And the word, that I, the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And after I know that his commandment is eternal life, what I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me. So we've got a kind of a, a final explanation here from the words of uh, Jesus and, and John's added in some words from the Old Testament to try and understand it. And what he's basically saying is J- Jesus has had this ministry. He talks about the arm of the law, which is basically Jesus' miraculous works, which we have seen throughout the Gospel of John. And he, he still does today in his church. There's these miraculous works that are set before the world. But yet, in spite of that, there are many, many who still reject him. And you have this confusing language here about it saying God has blinded their hearts. And what this is is a, is a prophet, um, a, a section from Isaiah. And uh, Isaiah chapter 6, very, very famous section in that book. You have the, um, the, the, the prophet Isaiah has a revelation of God. It says, you know, in the, king, the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, Isaiah said. And it's an awesome, it's awesome kind of passage of Scripture talking about the glory of God. And we all love that bit, but we don't read the rest. And basically, Isaiah sees this and he says, I'm undone. And the voice from the throne of God says, well, who's going to go and tell the people about me? And Isaiah's like, send me, here I am. And we all love that bit. And so God says, right, you go. By the way, they're not going to listen to you. We never read that far. He basically says, they're not going to listen They're not going to listen. They're going to reject you, and they're going to reject me and reject my message. Their hearts are going to be hardened against it, which is not the most entertaining thing if you're told to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus, and you'll get gung-ho, and God says, by the way, you're going to get rejected. You're going to get, get, they're going to turn their back on you. You're going to suffer hardship for proclaiming my name, which 
interesting is a picture of the, the ministry of Jesus, isn't it? Go. He, he wasn't just coming on behalf of God, he was God. He came and he spoke. And we get this um, dynamic which you've got to reconcile, which is God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God is sovereign over all things. He is the ruler and reigner of all things. And he governs all things, but yet we are still responsible. And they're never pitted together. And what, what we get, the, the most helpful image I've found is the, um, the, the image of the sun. The, the same sun hardens the ice and it also, oh sorry, melts the ice, hardens the clay. Get that right. Melts ice, it hardens clay. So you put the same things out in the sun and you get different results. And the, the fact is with God's message, sometimes you get a response to it, but sometimes you get a hardening and a negativeness to God's message, to what's happened. Sometimes you could, pe- you could offer people with irrefutable emissions of that God has done this, God has performed this miracle, he's done this in my life, he's transformed my life, he did this, and they will still reject it. There will still be a hardening of their hearts. There will still be a, no, I will not accept that, which ultimately is born out of sinfulness and actually a desire to not accept God as ruler and reigner. And there will be others who will hear it and they will be cut to the heart and they will be melted and they will repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus. And what, what Johnny here is explaining, that actually even though the message goes out and it's the same, there is, there is a, a, a rejection of God but also an acceptance. And the rejection of God is sometimes attributed to God as God hardening their heart, but it's, it's their responsibility is never removed. We are always responsible for our own choices before God. Anyone who rejects the Lord Jesus ultimately will have to face the consequences of their message. And Jesus' message has been like that. It's gone out to the people, and there are those who've accepted it. His disciples particularly are the ones who we notice it, and there have been various confessions of faith as we've seen through it. But there's also been wholesale rejection, particularly through the, the religious leaders who've actually ultimately plotted to kill him now. There's a, there's a death kind of warrant over Jesus' head. They want him dead and we're going to see it worked out, who can, how that happens. But that's, what's, that, that's, that, that's the kind of the, the result of all this. And then you get this tragic bit um, where it says that in verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. So this is the people who, who wanted him dead. There are, there are those amongst them. We've already met Nicodemus. That's one of them. And there's um, Joseph um, of Arimathea, who's another one who kind of appears around there. But it says there were others who said they believed in him, but this is one of the most scary verses, but fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of synagogue. Verse 43, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They loved the glory that comes from man. Over fear of the consequences of accepting and putting their faith and trust in Jesus, they rejected him. They saw the wisdom in what he said. They might have even seen who he was, but yet they still chose to reject him because of fear of their own comfort, which is that's what it was. They've been put out of the synagogue. Their own pride, their own reputation, their own standing, they decided to, put to, um, to reject Jesus. And that's the reality of the message of Christ. We're, we're told to proclaim it, but sometimes you get a positive response, sometimes you get a negative response. If you, do it, if you do it well and you're not rude and obnoxious, it never depends on you. It's all, it's all, it all talks about Jesus. It's all about how people respond to him. And he, they responded to him kind of in a positive way, but also a negative way. And so let's just look at a few things just to apply this, then we will end. Um, and I'll hand back over to the band. All right, the first one. Jesus is the king who conquered through death. Jesus is the king who conquered through death. My... My question to you, my thing to submit to you today is, is your faith in Christ based on his death and resurrection? 
Is your faith in Christ based on a biblical Jesus, not a, a pop culture Jesus that is presented kind of to the world? Jesus who is Jesus the vegan, Jesus the pacifist, Jesus the anti this, anti that, Jesus who's pro this, pro that, this kind of, Jesus can be squeezed into any mold, put on a t-shirt, put on a necklace, and people can invoke his name in any way whatsoever. When they score a goal at football, you know, yay, Jesus, you know, they can, they can put it anywhere. When they get the award at the ceremony, sincere or not, we don't always know, but Jesus can go anywhere. But is it based on a biblical Jesus? Because Jesus says, faith and trust in me is based on my death. I came to die. That's why I said, that's why I came. All the stuff is precursor to this. We've had 12 chapters of stuff which has all been important. Teachings, miracles, John's trying to tell us things that he's seen about Jesus. But it all boils down to his death. That's why half of John's gospel deals with the last few days of his life. The lead up to his death. That's not normal in a biography. Usually in a biography of a famous person, the death is the last page. And all the stuff that comes before is important. Jesus' biographies we find here in the New Testament, most of their, their content is dealt with his death and the lead up to that. It's all about his death. And if you are a believer in Jesus and you want to have an authentic biblical faith, it, it, it's got to be based on his death and resurrection. Jesus came to earth as God. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on a cross in your place for your sin, all the things you've done, and you know what they are. I don't have to tell you. He then rose bodily from death, defeating his enemy, which was um, breaking sin, defeating the devil, it says there. And he rose victorious, and he rules and reigns forever, and one day will return to judge all mankind, living and dead. That is the biblical faith. That is what it is, and that should be at the core of who you are as a believer. The core of who we are as a corporate kind of body of believers as a church. And we should never sway from that. And I don't know what your experience is. Mine growing up was Jesus was something I just did and added to my life. I grew up in a, uh, a, a church-going household. We attended the local Anglican church. And Jesus was something I did on a Sunday. I just went with mum and dad and I wore something smarter than I am wearing now. And I turned up and I went through the motions and I knew the book and I looked the part. I could recite um, the ASB kind of verbatim. I knew the stuff. I knew the Eucharistic prayers. There were four. Four. And I knew them all. I could do all that. I got confirmed. I lived that life. I was a Pharisee. But actually, if anyone challenged me about kind of, is Jesus at the center of your life? <laughs> no. There are much more important things I do. You know, there's my friends and the activities I get up to and girls played a part and all that sort of thing. Jesus wasn't at the center. It was only when I kind of got, oh, I got to university and I met real Christians that I suddenly I was shown for the fraud I was. And so... If you're not a believer here today and the words I'm saying is, is touching you, you need to make a choice. You need to make a choice that actually you're going to put Jesus in the middle. He's the one. His death and resurrection is going to be the center of your life if you want to follow him. Because that's, that's what it means. Jesus says if you don't follow the light, you're in darkness and he's the light. Everything else is dark. So you need to follow him. He needs to be the one in the middle. And if that's you, I'd love to talk to you um, at the end of the meeting about what that means. But that's, uh, we're not going to budge on that one. Second thing, Jesus is the one we follow through self-sacrifice. Jesus is our example of this. Imagine we've become Christians. You're a believer here. Okay, great, I'm a believer. Well, then what does that mean? How does that continue? Well, actually, that continues throughout your life. And the model Jesus puts before us is self-sacrifice. 
I came to die, Jesus says. I came to, I'm like a grain of wheat, falls to the ground and dies. And he says, you know, my followers will be where I will be. They'll be living that life for me, a life of self-sacrifice. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, whose glory do you seek? Do you seek yours or do you seek Jesus? Do you take the lowest position? following in the model of Jesus. Are you prepared to sacrifice like Jesus? Are you prepared to serve like Jesus? We're going to come on in the next chapter to one of these remarkable images of Christ's servanthood when he washes his disciples' feet and we'll see the significance of that event and what that means. But are you prepared to serve? Because that's the model of Jesus. That's what he's called us to be. That's how he's called us to live our life. And For most of us, most of the time, you'll be pleased to hear he hasn't called us to follow him to death, literally. There aren't crosses waiting outside and saying, who wants to follow him, who's going to sign up here? And for many of us, that won't happen. But he's called us to live a life where we carry our cross daily, he said. Die to self is the kind of the image there. That actually we put others before ourselves. We put Christ before us, we put others before us. We seek to serve those who are around us. Are we prepared to sacrifice? This became this is a as a preacher, I preach this and I love to preach this, and then God made it real in my life, which He has a habit of doing. When we came to start the church here in Sutton Coldfield, it required a lot of sacrifice on our part as a family, which when when I counted the cost, it suddenly made it way more scary. We, went, we had to give up two jobs, Mel and I. We, we had a seven-month-old baby. We were moving across the country where we knew, knew no one. We had a small team of people who said they were going to come with us, which we are eternally grateful. Um, I went from being the kind of the, one of the wage earners to the only wage earner. I had a couple of days a week secured from the church, but no other income. I had to go and find income um, through the joy of supply teaching, which is um, unpredictable um, when you're going to work. And, and then coming to from a large established church with oodles of resources to a small group with very little in terms of resources was hard. And it was the, I felt that's what God had called us to as a family. And we had to sacrifice that. And we've had to live out of that. We've had to grow out of that. And, and God has called us to that lifestyle. He's basically said, are you willing to sacrifice to give up? And it happens on a daily kind of basis. What are we willing to give up for God? It talks about in our money, in our giving. We're told to give to our local congregation, whatever it is. We're supposed to, to honor God with our money. What about with our time, who we give it to? What about with our talents and our gifts, how we serve? How do we serve in the workplace to serve those who are around us? Not just looking for our own leg up. How do we serve our neighbors, our friends, those in the church? We're meant to live that life before God. Last one. Jesus is the one who will reap a great harvest. Jesus is the one who will reap a great harvest. He said all, he will draw all people to himself. There's no one outside his reach. There's no, no one too lost or too far from the cross. There's, there's no group too outside his control. He says, I'm going to draw all people, all nations and all tribes and all languages will be represented before the throne in heaven, it says. And... There is a harvest coming, a great harvest. And my challenge as I prepare this and my challenge to us is, is do we believe that? Do we believe that as a church that God wants to, to save people here, to bring people into his kingdom here through us? It's always good to hear stories about what's happening around the world, other people. <laughs> I always like to hear stories of what God's doing. But my kind of heart is, am I, I going to dare to believe that here? 
because it will be messy if people come and get saved here because we'll have people who know nothing about church, don't know the, the way to do things, don't know when to stand or sit, and they'll bring all their their baggage in and we'll have to love them and deal with that and we'll have to adjust because we'll have to grow and we'll have to make room in our lives for people. We'll have to risk being rejected because the message of Jesus brings rejection as well as salvation and success. We have to run the risk of being misunderstood as being called closed-minded bigots, out of touch, old-fashioned, when all we're doing is telling what God has said about them (laughs) and about the way the world should run because it's all written down for us to read for anyone to read. But I, I kind of want to leave us with that sense that God wants to do a great thing. Jesus didn't die just to show us something. He died for a purpose. He died for a people. He died to bring people in to his kingdom. He died so men and women and children could come to know him. And my prayer as we finish is that we'll be a people who actually, who sees Jesus as the prize fighter coming in, who took the dive, but the dive led to victory. <laughs> It led to a victory far beyond anyone could comprehend at the time. Even his disciples missed it, it said. And they'd been following for three years and they'd eaten with him and he'd been talking to them. And they still missed it, it said. They didn't get it till after the fact. But actually he came to bring a people to himself. He came to bring a kingdom in. So do you want to stand? Let me just lead us in just a time of response and then the band are going to... Band are going to play. Thanks, guys. Firstly, if you want to just close your eyes. If you're here and you know that you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, and that's something you are aware of, something that's just been kind of revealed to you today, I want to challenge you to do something about it today. Do not leave this building without doing something. Tell the person you came with, if they not come and tell me. Tell someone you know if I'm too intimidating. I don't care. (laughs) Tell someone that I want to know. I want to follow this Jesus. I want to give my life to this Jesus. I want to connect. I want to have my sin dealt with. I I don't want to be the one kind of running my life because I haven't done a very good job to date. I want to to confess my sins. I want to have eternal life with him. I want to be with him forever. If that's you, you need to make a response today, and I'd love to talk to you about that. About the rest of us, if you know you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, I'd love to just lead us as we're going to pray and to actually make that confession again that Jesus is the center of our life, <laughs> that he's the one that, we are, that we're going to kind of build everything around. It's going to become the core of who we are here on a Sunday as we go to work tomorrow, whatever kind of work looks like you for this week as we roll through life. Jesus is the one who's going to be at the core. And I'd also love us to pray that God would give us grace to see other men and women come to know him because that's all we want to do. We want to just show other people Jesus and get, let them get to know him. That's all we want to do. We're not trying to win arguments or score points or we just say, this is Jesus, why don't you get to know him and, and see their lives transformed, which is wonderful. So let me just lead us in a time of prayer for that. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your death on the cross. I want to thank you that you died in our place for our sins. Lord God, I want to thank you that you saved me. A religious, self-righteous Pharisee who thought he knew it all. (laughs) And you transformed my life. Thank you that you forgave my sins. Thank you that you died in my place. Thank you that you bore that penalty. Thank you that you rose victorious and you rule and reign in heaven now. Thank you, Lord, you sent your spirit to your people to lead us, to guide us, to transform us slowly into your image. 
Lord Jesus, I I ask you to give us grace to live lives that follow you, lives of self-sacrifice, lives that that, that look like you, as imperfect as that is, that point to your death on the cross, your model of serving others, loving others, giving to others, even when it hurts. And Lord God, let us be a men and women who are faithful in the proclamation of your word, even when it leads to rejection and misunderstanding. Because that's a very real possibility, you said. People have come into your mind now as I've been praying that you know don't know Jesus and you'd like them to know Jesus. I'd love you just to pray for them now. Just say, God save them. Your, your parents, your brothers and sisters, your children, your, your colleagues, your neighbours, your friends you just know and you love. Just say, God, just pray for them now. Save them. Say, God, give me grace to speak the truth to them in love, regardless of the consequences. Give me the grace to invite them to something, an Alpha course, even here on a Sunday, whatever, some context, even when you're afraid and you don't know what's going to happen. If they're local and you're local and say God let me bring them here on a Sunday (laughs) to see your people kind of doing what they do if you're not local then you know pray that God will bring them to you wherever you are your local setting congregation church Lord God I thank you that your desire to save is stronger than ours (laughs) your love for those who don't know is way bigger than ours Lord God, and I thank you that you desire to sake and save those who are lost, those who walk in darkness, those who are not in your light, Lord Jesus. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. God's people said, Amen.